All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday UK Sangha. Hello YouTube, hello future beings. Um, today we're gonna go through another sutta that's uh, pretty foundational to most uh, mindfulness practices because it's literally called the foundations of mindfulness. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, used by many uh, misinterpreted by many. So uh, we're going to go through it and set the record straight on exactly what these instructions mean, um, because they're pretty important instructions. So um, this is from the middle length discourses. So the Maja Minakaya number 10. Hey, Carl, welcome. All right. Um, so the Madhyamanakaya number 10, the Satipatthana Sutta, and that's uh, the foundations of mindfulness. All right, so um, I might skip through some sections of these, but uh, I'm, I'm going to read through until I can find parts that we can kind of just summarize. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country at a town of the Kurus named Kama Sadama. There he addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. So anytime you have in the first paragraph, this is the way to Nibbana, or this is for the realization of Nibbana, uh, you can tell that what it's about to drop is like, it's gonna drop some pretty like um, important stuff. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Instead of just being like an anecdotal thing or like an allegory story, this is like a fundamental teaching here that it's about to get into. So, what are the four here bhikkhus? A bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind as mind, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away grief and covetousness for the world. So um, this is talking about the mindfulness or uh, the paying attention that you're able to do um, with all pretty much what comprises the subjective experience. So um, the body and contemplating it for what it is. I mean, that might not seem very profound contemplating the body as body, but it's extremely profound. 
So seeing the body as body is a body, not me. It's just a body. And same with the feelings and, uh, and uh, the mind objects. The mind and the mind objects. So the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind objects. So the process of the mind itself and what the mind is thinking about. And uh, so like having put away grief and covetousness for the world, this tells me that this is already in a wholesome state. So it doesn't just say um, contemplate the body as body while you're um, in sloth and torpor, in hindrance, uh, grieving, lamenting, um, moaning and griping about throwing a pity party. It says you already put away all that stuff. Now you can contemplate it as it is. So uh, people miss that part. Yeah, people throw, they just like sweep that under the rug. No, just start paying attention. No, you got to put away, you kind of got to put all the um, put all the dirt and garbage, uh, maybe just throw it in the closet for now, but get it out of the room. <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, okay, so the first section here uh, is contemplating the body. That's uh, the first one. And it starts with mindfulness of breathing. So here we are. And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating the body as a body? Here, a bhikkhu gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut sits down. And it says fold your legs and set body erect, but... Uh, Really, you could be sitting in a chair. It doesn't matter. Um, you don't have to be in the forest either. These are just like formalities. Um, and establish mindfulness in front of him. Ever mindful, he breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he understands. I breathe in long. All right, so that's really important. Right there is really important. The language is uh, used intentionally and precisely. Breathing in long, he understands I breathe in long. So never does it have anything to do with uh, concentration. This is just understanding that you're breathing. Under <laughs> How simple is that? Understanding that you're breathing, whereas if you're distracted in all sorts of um, um, breathing and covetousness for the world, you kind of forgot that you're breathing at that moment. So breathing in long, you, you simply understand that you're breathing in long. Or breathing out long, he understands, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands, I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands, I breathe out short. He trains thus. So once you become aware of the breath and you understand that you're breathing, not brute force concentrating on the breath and then um, shoving anything else out, just simply remembering that you're breathing. Now that you've remembered that you're breathing, now the training can start. So he trains thus. I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. He trains he trains thus, I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in tranquilizing 
the bodily formation. He trains us, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. So you start to practice this thing where you're getting into a rhythm, breathing in, and you're feeling the sensations of your body. And as you feel the sensations of your body, you can relax and loosen any tensions that are in it. It could be muscle tensions, could be facial tensions, just any tensions. But you're paying attention to what the body is doing in this moment uh, through the breath. And uh, you can breathe yourself into jhana. This is the, this is where it's kind of leading to. You can breathe yourself into comfortable and a tranquil body. So in order to have insight, in order to have mindfulness, you have to have tranquility of your body and tranquility of your mind. But we'll get to that later. Um, okay, so tranquilizing the bodily formation. Um, I know Damarado makes fun of that a lot, but really it just means uh, relaxing tensions. So you can intentionally relax tensions. There's, uh, there's tensions that we're not aware of, that we're holding in our body, that simply the solution to those tensions is to take some deep breaths, become aware of your body, and then you realize, I don't have to hold on to that. I can let go of that tension. It's the same, you're grasping something with your fist, you can simply release. Okay, here we go. Just as a skilled turner or his apprentice, when making a long turn understands, I make a long turn. Or when making a short turn understands, I make a short turn. So too, breathing in long, a bhikkhu understands, I breathe in long. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Uh, so, especially on the out breath. So, you breathe in. You breathe out. Relax. So you can really let uh, let the relaxation of your lungs, which releases the breath, also relax your body at that moment. So it's a kind of your entire body is breathing out and releasing. All right, and then insight. So the insight that comes from this. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, or he abides contemplating the body as a body externally, or he abides contemplating the body as a body both internally and externally. So here it's giving a couple of options here. So you can either contemplate the body as an internal experience or as the body is external or both. So um, the important here is that you're contemplating the body, but uh, whether you contemplate it as external, like the world, or as internal, like a subjective experience, uh, you could do either, or you could do both. Like here's the physical body and here's the internal experience, but you're contemplating um, the experience of the body in that moment. 
or else he abides contemplating in the body in the body its arising factors or he abides contemplating in the body its vanishing factors or he abides contemplating in the body both its arising and vanishing factors so what does that mean so um, when you're contemplating the body and its arising factors you're simply contemplating the fact that the experience of the body itself the sensations are arising so they're coming into being hey robert welcome on board yo we're just talking uh we're going through the foundations of mindfulness sutta so when you're contemplating the body and its arising factors and its vanishing factors simply what you're doing is seeing that the sensations and the experience of the body is appearing and then disappearing over and over so like you're not experiencing the same body in every moment you're experiencing uh changing changing uh sensations so the sensation of my hand that was there a moment ago has vanished and a new one has arisen so you're um, contemplating this appearing and disappearing in your visceral experience. Um, or, and, then, and then after that, it gets to, <clears throat> or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. So it's not even necessary to contemplate um, It's not even necessary to contemplate the arising and passing away of the body. As you can also just simply understand there is a body just for the bare effect of being mindful. There is a body. Um, so there's kind of like a simplicity in that understanding that uh, unifies your attention. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. So independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So every moment that you're doing this is completely wholesome. Uh, the mind is rid of hindrances if you're doing this. This is a completely wholesome contemplation and uh, awareness of things. So you're not um, you're not worried about the past or the future because you're experiencing immediate sensate reality and actually seeing its qualities. So it is arising and it is vanishing, and uh, that's extremely interesting and uh, fruitful to dive into and train. The four postures. Okay, now we're going to get into the four postures of the body. Uh, any given moment, you're in one of these four postures. Again, bhikkhus, when walking, a bhikkhu understands I am walking. When standing, he understands I am standing. When sitting, he understands I am sitting. When lying down, he understands I am lying down. Or he understands accordingly, however, his body is disposed. So pretty much you're either sitting, standing, 
lying down or walking. That's pretty much all the <laughs> all the different ways your body is going to be ever. Um, and then it's good to know that. So know that you're sitting down. Remember that you're sitting down. Remember that you're walking. Remember that you're laying down. In any given moment, the, what, is, what is my body doing right now? Is it sitting down? Is it lying down? Is it walking? And just simply become aware of that and understand what it's doing. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, and both internally and externally. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how bhikkhus abide contemplating the body as a body. So internally, externally, or both. So you can do the thing where, oh, everything is external, not this, not that, or everything is internal, or both. So it's uh, it's covering all bases here. Whereas uh, some practices will say, oh, you have to see every, you have to see it all as external. You see it all as internal. Um, it's all consciousness. No, just it's it's both. It's physical and it's internal. Or you can see it all as one or the other. Um, the important part is the mindfulness here, the mindfulness of your immediate experience. Full awareness. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending his limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and ur urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. All right, so even when you're pooping, even when you're taking a shit, are you scrolling on Instagram? Or are you aware of the experience of taking a shit? So you're, this mindfulness goes everywhere. So you're taking a shit right now. Be there for it. Take, take, be mindful. Be fully aware of the experience of taking a shit or taking a piss. Everyone knows that taking a piss can be a really enjoyable experience sometimes. So be there for it. So take a piss off a mountain and look into the beautiful sunset and be aware that you're pissing. Um, this is a mindfulness practice. Uh, it applies everywhere, not just on the cushion for an hour a day. Okay. You don't. You don't even have to look at the sunset and all, all that. Yeah, you have to look at the sunset. What what happens man, inside your body? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the spirit. That's what it. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Foulness, the bodily parts. So now it's kind of going to. Uh, talk about the contemplating of the grossness of the body or the kind of 
disgustingness of the body. And this is simply done for uh, not self-understanding. So to really understand this is a body, it's not really me. It's just a body. Um, don't And so like not lusting for it, not craving for it, not identifying with it. Again, a bhikkhu, again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin as full of many kinds of impurities thus. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. So I think this is another... <laughs> This is another testament to like the intelligence of the Buddha, because most people around that time don't really know the anatomy of the human body. And they may have some superstitious, like they just think maybe it's a ghost in there. They don't really know like <laughs> what the body is made of, but the Buddha uh, studied uh, dead bodies and he knows like, what is that body actually made of? It's like a scientific modern day understanding. Um, seeing the body as a body. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. And a man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus. This is hill rice. This is red rice. These are beans. These are peas. This is millet. This is white rice. So too, a bhikkhu reviews the same body as full of many kinds of impurities thus. In this body, there are head hairs, etc., etc., urine. So all of the things that it went, went through earlier. You see it as what it is. And you go through it piece by piece, bit by bit. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body, internally, externally, and both internally and externally. He abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That, too, is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. Okay, so now it's going to get into the elements. So we've all seen Avatar, The Last Airbender. Um, <laughs> this is the, the fire, water, earth, and uh, air. And... Uh, Someone I heard explain this in another way. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Delson Armstrong, but he explained this in like a really interesting way that I thought like made a lot of sense is that the elements are just representation for the states of matter. So uh, earth would just be um, solid matter. Water would be liquid matter. Um, air would be gas matter. And uh, fire would be uh, plasma, so like electricity, the firing of the neurons, etc. Uh, again, bhikkhus. A bhikkhu reviews the same body, however it is placed, however disposed, as consisting of elements thus. 
In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces, so too a bhikkhu reviews this same body as consisting of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. So in this body, there's solid, liquids, gas, and plasma. So there's the, the gas that's actually taken into the bloodstream and also in your lungs. And then there's the, um, the liquids. So most of your body is made of water uh, in the blood and et cetera. And uh, the solids, so your bones, all the flesh, and the plasma. So the the nervous system firing uh, electricity up and down the nerves in the spine and in the brain um, to operate. And this is what your body is made of. So in that sense, it's made of the universe because the universe is made of these states of matter. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, and both internally and externally. He abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body. All right, so now we're going to get to sort of like uh, death contemplation. So seeing death and understanding death. This is called the nine-channel ground contemplations. Again, bhikkhus, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a channel ground, one, two, or three days dead, bloated, livid, and oozing matter, a bhikkhu compares this body with it thus. This body, too, is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. So you see a disgusting, uh, rotting corpse, and you understand viscerally and directly, this body will share the same fate as that one. This body is going to um, disintegrate. It's going to rot, and it's going to um, be consumed by funguses and ooze pus and dissolve it back into uh, the earth. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, and both internally and externally. He abides. Okay, so this is going to be a recurring paragraph. I'm just going to skip it. it. Happens at the end of everything. Again, as though you were to see a corpse thrown aside in a channel ground, being devoured by crows, hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, or various kinds of worms. A bhikkhu compares this body uh, with the same body, uh, this same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. All right, so we're getting uh, close to Halloween here. So this is uh, kind of in the theme of that. So a dead body being consumed by vultures, um, worms, all kinds of dogs and uh terrifying things like that so that's that i mean we're kind of what 
sheltered, like extremely sheltered from the reality of this situations. But uh, um, before like modern times, you know, you people would see this happening to dead bodies. So they're, they're kind of like, in that sense, more accustomed with the idea of death, more reminded of death, more like aware of the fact that their body's gonna die. At two is how Bhikkhu abides contemplating the body of the body. Again, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a channel ground, a skeleton with flesh and blood held together with sinews, a fleshless skeleton smeared with blood held together with sinews, a skeleton without flesh and blood held together with sinews, disconnected bones scattered in all directions, here a hand bone, there a foot bone, here a shin bone, there a thigh bone, here a hip bone, there a back bone, here a rib bone, there a breast bone, here an arm bone, there a shoulder bone, here a neck bone, there a jaw bone, here a tooth, there the skull. A bhikkhu compares this same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Alright, so even bones scattered around, like just thrown everywhere, scattered everywhere, completely dispersed. This body is of the same nature. It will disperse and separate and extinguish and dissolve. Um, back to where it came from, really. All right, back to the insight. I mean, now for the insight at the end of this. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as a body, internally, externally, and then uh, it it's going to go through the same theme of uh, arising and passing away um, or simply understanding this is a body. Uh, he abides contemplating the body as a body. So now we move on to um, the contemplation of feeling. <clears throat> and how bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating feelings as feelings? Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling a painful feeling, he understands, I feel a painful feeling. When feeling a neither pleasant nor painful feeling, he understands, I feel a neither pleasant nor painful feeling. So, uh, this is pretty important. So understanding what's going on with the feelings. So there's just Vedana, there's feeling, um, and it falls into one of these three categories. There's pleasant feelings, there's painful feelings, and there's neutral feelings. So what does it feel like right now? What are the feelings? Does it feel good? Is it painful? Is there a feeling of pain or is it just neutral? So understanding uh, what category the current feeling uh, falls into um, through the subjective experience. When feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. 
and feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. So worldly and unworldly feeling. So feelings that arise um, due to um, things going on in the world or things uh, not of the world. So you may be experiencing a feeling of joy that has no uh, worldly cause. That would be an unworldly pleasant feeling. Or it could be a joy because you got an Instagram notification. That would be a worldly pleasant feeling. And it goes on to say, say the same thing with uh, worldly painful feelings and unworldly uh, painful feelings. And the insight that comes from this uh, training is as follows. In this way, he abides contemplating feelings as feelings, both internally, externally, arising and passing away, etc. So you see um, the characteristics of uh, these feelings. Or you just see uh, there is feeling for the bare extent to establish mindfulness. And now we get to the mind. And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. So lust is kind of like a old, a weird like a weird kind of old word, but uh, really what lust means is like craving. So it doesn't mean like necessarily like you're horny for someone. Um, that's what lust generally means like now. Or like, oh, I'm lusting for that um, beautiful woman or, or man or whatever it is you're lusting for. Lust can be for like anything. It could be any type of lust that the mind can become obsessed with something or craving for something. He understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate and mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate he understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion and mind unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion so this goes back to um the the blemish the four blemishes or the blemishes that we're talking about earlier so understanding either my mind is affected by hate or not. If it's not affected by hate, you understand, hey, my mind's not affected by hate right now. Or if it is, you understand it's affected by hate. So uh, whatever, if it, there's a blemish or not, it's important to know whether or not uh, the mind is pure or affected by something. Uh, because if you know if it's pure, you're going to maintain it. Or if you don't know, you're not going to seek to purify it. He understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. He understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind and as unexalted mind. He understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind. 
an unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. He understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. So this is like developing a meta cognition and a meta awareness of all the ups and downs and all the sways that the and activities that the mind goes through. So you just start to become aware when you're distracted and you're aware when you're not distracted. So you, you, you develop kind of like a meta awareness to the ups and downs, the pleasant feelings and the painful feelings. So you see, you see the cycles of things and you become aware, fully aware of these things. And in that sense, you become detached from them. Hey, Michael, welcome. We're just going through uh, the foundations of mindfulness sutta. So if you have any questions or want to uh, say something, just feel free to butt in. Sounds good. So <clears throat> he understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. Yeah, so understanding uh, what is the mind doing and what what cycle of the graph are you in? Are you on an up mountaintop or are you on a valley? And just uh, um, developing uh, the mindfulness to uh, uh, release yourself from the ups and downs. And the insight that comes from this. In this way, he abides contemplating mind as mind internally, externally, and both internally and externally. And also he abides contemplating the mind in its arising and vanishing and both its arising and vanishing. So the mind is coming into existence and it's passing away. And every moment the mind is being born and dying. So the mind is not continuous entity. It's not just always happening. The mind is starting up again and stopping, starting up again and stopping every moment or you can just become uh, aware that there is mind to the bare extent uh, necessary to establish mindfulness all right now we get on to i'm going to skip the hindrances because um, i think we all know the hindrances by now so i'm going to skip that part it's going to be kind of redundant um, I'm going to get to the five aggregates because uh, I don't think we talk a lot about the five aggregates in uh, this Sangha very much. I think it's mentioned sometimes, but here we go. Again, bhikkhus. A bhikkhu abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the five aggregates affected by clinging. And how does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the five aggregates affected by clinging? Here a bhikkhu understands, such is material form, such is its origin, such is its disappearance, such is feeling, su such is its origin, such is its disappearance, such is perception, such is its origin, such is its disappearance. Such are the formations, such their origin, such their disappearance. Such is consciousness, such 
such is its origin and such its disappearance. So um, we have the five aggregates which, evit, uh, which uh, comprise uh, dukkha or comprise suffering. So they're affected by clinging. And uh, here it's talking about uh, kind of an, an advanced um, practice of seeing the dependent origination of these things. So you can actually see material form. So the experience of form, um, your experiences take form, they take shape. Um, you can see that it has a beginning and it also has an end. So these things are rising dependent to the causes and conditions and with the cessation of those causes and conditions comes the cessation of that aggregate. And um, the same with feeling. So all the feelings, so either pleasant, uh, unpleasant or neutral, um, these are all dependently arisen. And uh, same with formations and even consciousness. So here's uh, going to go against a lot of the other spiritual traditions that take consciousness to be self, take consciousness to be permanent, take consciousness to be the source of happiness and the underlying fabric of the universe. Um, no, consciousness is, is just, uh, it's arising. Um, it's originated and uh, it also disappears. And uh, clinging to consciousness um, is liable to cause dukkha. In this way, he abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects internally, externally, and both internally and externally. He abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the five aggregates affected by clinging. Okay, now we get to the six bases. And we're, 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 we're almost to the end here, so just hang on, everybody. But now we're going to get to the six ba bases. So um, essentially the six sense bases. Again, bhikkhus. A bhikkhu abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the six internal and external bases. And how does bhikkhu abide contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the six internal and external bases? Here, a bhikkhu understands the eye, he understands forms, and he understands the fetter that has arisen dependent on both. And he, underst and he also understands how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen fetter and how there comes to be the abandoning of the arisen fetter, how there comes to be the future non-arising of the abandoned fetter. He understands the ear. He understands sounds. He understands the nose. He understands odors. He understands the tongue. He understands flavors. He understands the body. He understands tangibles. He understands the mind and he understands mind objects. So these are all the uh, six senses. Um, 
uh, the ear and what the ear receives. So the form that it contacts, the vasa. So um, um, this is wisdom at the point of contact. Um, so understanding the eye and the form that the eye comes in contact with. So that the sense, the sensory experience of vision and uh, uh, the tongue and the flavor it comes in contact with the mind and what the mind thinks about. So what the mind comes in contact with. And uh, I think I might have skipped some, but oh yeah, the body and the tangibles. So tangible sensations, the feeling of your butt against the seat, the feeling of your feet walking on the ground. So what, what uh, tangible senses the body is coming in contact with. In this way, he advised contemplating internally, externally, et cetera, et cetera. The seven enlightenment factors. Again, bhikkhus. A bhikkhu abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the seven enlightenment factors. And how does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the seven enlightenment factors? Here there being uh, the mindfulness enlightenment factor in him, a bhikkhu understands there is the mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. So mindfulness, uh, it's a good word, but it's a misunderstood word a lot. So uh, the clarity of awareness. So the bright attention uh, is another way to say it. So mindfulness is not just a normal form of attention that uh, is is kind of like out of focus. It's kind of like distracted. It's kind of like doesn't have much energy, doesn't have much clarity. It's not really, uh, it's like an unmindful experience of things, of uh, sensate reality would, would be like an unfocused lens. So things are kind of blurry. They're not really clear. You don't really see the char fundamental characteristics of them. You don't see them for what they are. You don't see that they're arising and vanishing. So mindfulness is a, cl a clear, bright clarity of awareness, of, uh, of seeing things. So that's one of the seven enlightenment factors. Okay, there's mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. Or, or there being no mindfulness enlightenment factor in him, he understands there is no mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. And he also understands how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen mindfulness enlightenment factor and how the arisen mindfulness enlightenment factor comes to fulfillment by development. So how do you strengthen, how do you train, how do you develop uh, this skill really? This enlightenment factor is a skill, and it's also a quality of enlightenment itself. So it's like, like practice makes perfect. There being the investigation of states, enlightenment factor in him. There being the, and then it ellipses. So it's going to go through all the different enlightenment factors, but the same 
applies to understanding the dependent origination and whether it's there or not in your experience. There being the investigation of states enlightenment factor. So the, the investigation aspect of seeing what it is, seeing its dependent origination. How does it come to be? How does it come to pass? What is it like? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it arising and passing away? So that's the investigation factor of enlightenment. There being the energy enlightenment factor in him. So there's energy that comes along with this. There's a kind of zeal, kind of inspiration, a kind of wakey-wakey. So there's like a, oh, really seeing, uh, really co coming alive to the moment. And a lot of energy uh, comes uh, with that because uh, of the profundity of, of uh, what's going on and what you're actually realizing here through the practice. It's going to um, bring up um, a lot of uh, wholesome energy. So you're not going to be uh, tired and... Uh... Okay, Veda, you're checking out? Oh, okay. Just, I just wanted to say, you <clears throat> go through mindfulness, investigation, energy, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so let me continue. Energy, there being the rapture enlightenment factor. So rapture is another way that word that they use for joy. So there's a kind of transcendent joy, a jubilation, if you will. Rapture, the rapture has come. Ah, oh, isn't this amazing? Uh, there being the tra tra tranquility enlightenment factor. So the tranquility, the cool euphoria. So the rapture is the energized euphoria. It's kind of energetic and it's joyful. And then also simultaneously, there's the cool sukha, the tranquility, the peace, the stillness, the relaxation, the ah, the comfort. Um, there being the concentration enlightenment factor. So concentration, mistranslation of samadhi. So the unification of mind, the integration, the coming together of things, everything is comes together and everything is is here and, and it's all within your grasp. So it's all unified. Collect. Collect. Yeah, collectedness. There being the equanimity um, enlightenment factor. So in equanimity, a kind of holy indifference. So you're not really... Um, swayed by anything you're you're kind of above it all you're you're above it all you're you're literally in like you're holier than what's going on and you're indifferent to it because of that um, and then equanimity yeah so equanimity that's the last one and then uh it goes on to say uh, he trains understanding whether these factors are there or not, how they come to be, the dependent origination, and how you develop them, how you deepen them, how you how you proliferate these factors. Um, so this is how you contemplate the mind objects. And then finally, it ends with uh, the Four Noble Truths, and it has a conclusion down here. So uh, I'm going to go through these as well, because 
I think it's always a good idea to um, refresh ourselves of a fundamental teaching such as the Four Noble Truths. So again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the Four Noble Truths. And how does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind objects as mind objects in terms of the Four Noble Truths? Here a bhikkhu understands as it actually is. This is suffering. He understands as it actually is. This is the origin of suffering. He understands as it actually is. This is the cessation of suffering. He understands as it actually is. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. In this way, he abides contemplating mind objects, both internally, externally, etc., arising and passing away. Or um, the bare mindfulness to understand they're there. Um, and understanding the Four Noble Truths of them. Conclusion. Bhikkhus, if anybody, if anyone should develop these four foundations of mindfulness in such a way for seven years, one of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return. So if you uh, really practice this, um, really develop it, you're either going to attain to our hardship or uh, non-returner. So uh, anagami. Let alone seven years, bhikkhus, if anyone should develop these four foundations of mindfulness in such a way for six years, for five years, for four years, for three years, for two years, for one year, one of the, the two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return. Let alone one year, bhikkhus. If anyone should develop these four foundations of mindfulness in such a way for seven months, for six months, for five months, for four months, for three months, for two months, for one month, for half a month, one of the two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return, let alone half a month. If anyone should develop these four foundations of mindfulness in such a way for seven days, one of the two fruits could be expected for him. So it is with reference to this that it is said, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. That is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. So it goes all the way from seven years to uh, half a month to um, uh, seven days. So if you really do it, it, you know, it can only take you seven days if you really understand this mindfulness practice. Um, so it's quite a profound uh, way to practice and understand things as they really are. So yata buddha, jnana dasna. 
All right, so that's the end of the sutta. If uh, anyone has any questions, um, feel free to poke in, or if you'd like to just share something or comment about it, um, the floor is yours. I was going to say for like the longest time I taught like in a structural way when I would read like suttas or hear something I would like look for the checkpoints of my own practice be like oh equanimity oh, okay let's see if we have equanimity oh oh uh, rupture let's see if we have rupture but now as as I listen to them and I go from experiential level I can as I'm listening to them I can really go into it and see for my own experience if it's actually there it's just like it is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> yeah. To yeah, cool. So that's an important point you bring up. So it doesn't say, um, it says just be aware if there is, if it's there or not. And that's the, that's the mindfulness, that's the practice. So it doesn't say, oh, uh, worry about that you don't have equanimity. It says become aware, oh, there's no equanimity. And then you can, if you're aware of whether there is or isn't equanimity, you can be, uh, aware of uh, the origin of equanimity, of unarisen equanimity, and what brings equanimity into your experience. And this goes through, so it goes through so many different facets of our experience. Um, there's the five aggregates, there's the sense, six sense bases, there's the elements. Um, there's, uh, it starts off with the breath, though. So you start off with the breath, understanding your breathing and then becoming aware of the body, relaxing the body. And then there's so many different things to pay attention to. So um, you should never say that you're bored of this meditation because it's <laughs> you can't get bored if you're doing it actually right. If you're putting away grief for the world and uh, it's going to bring up a lot of energy and inspiration and uh, clarity of mind. Um, so I think this is a really good suited to review. Um, if if you guys ever kind of it was a lot, so if if uh, uh, running through it a couple more times is is actually a good idea for uh, your practice. But uh, yeah, if anyone has anything else, thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, man, uh, it's the pleasure is mine. So that this is really fun for me. Um, it helps me too and teaches me. So thank you guys for coming along. Thank you, Scott. Alrighty. So I Thank think. Thank you much. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming too, Robert. So I think we'll end it on that note, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Take care, everybody. Uh, 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 uh.